Buds. This is Devin. This is Liz. Where we left off, you had just introduced a man. One Mr. Pantages. You did tell me about Mr. Pantages, and in so doing, you quite literally set the stage for the character that I'm going to talk to you about. Icon. Legend. We're talking about the flower of the north, the bell of the Yukon, the sweetheart of the sourdoughs, as Liz says, an icon, a legend. We are talking about the one and only Klondike Kate. I'm very excited. She's one of those figures like Soapy Smith, where yeah. you're like, I'm aware that you're out there and you're doing your thing. You're almost yeah. too big for me to take on, but I, I keep seeing you. Like, we yeah. keep passing in the hallway. Yeah, we're okay. passing in okay. the hallway. And finally, we're going to sit down and buy her a cup of coffee. We've bought her a cup of coffee and in exchange gotten her very interesting life story. Lay it on me. Our girl Kate. What a dame, Liz. What a dame. She flirted with boys and disaster. (laughs) She was engaged at least a half a dozen times and married at least a few of those men. She was a vaudeville star. She was perhaps a soiled dove. She was definitely a moneymaker, and for sure she was an unwed lover living in sin. I like to think of Klondike Kate as the 1800s version of Dolly Parton. She got her big old titties on display, and some people think that that's... Uh, no, not okay, not accepted in polite society. And those people will just be run roughshod over the top of by literal cities full of people who are like, no, this is our queen. This is our goddess. She nursed us in our time of need. She always had an open pocketbook for anyone who needed a dime. We love her. How dare you poo-poo her more buxom fashions and lifestyle. We'll start with her birth. Well, we'll start with what we think her birth date is anyway. Did she edit? (sighs) She's one of those feisty little gals who edited big time. Good for her. Kathleen Eliza Rockwell. That's our names. That's our names, right? Yeah. That's why you and I share a brain is because in a former life, we were together, this one person, and then our soul (laughs) and brain got split. That's why there's only one brain. (laughs) Yes. It's like the origin of love, but for having a coherent thought. (laughs) Yes, right? So so our original starseed, Kathleen... Eliza. She was born on October 4th. But what what year was she born in? We don't know. Because our girl Kate, uh, she told reporters, historians, biographers, 1873, 1876, 1880, 1882. And one day when she was really feeling her oats, she said 1892. Okay, wait, wait. Run, run the high and low points of that by me again. 1873 and 1892. Wow, Kate. 19 years. She's fully edited. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. She's marvelous. But we do know, born on October 4th, in the Midwest, her mother Martha was a waitress and she was on her second marriage. And her father, John Rockwell, 
was also on his second marriage. Very unusual for the day, whether it was 1873 or 1892. <laughs> not in people who live <laughs> that way. Right? You'd be born in a December. Uh-huh. Sometime in this 20-year range. Sure-ish. <laughs> about. We're playing it fast and loose. Your parents have been married to each other. <laughs> who's to say? Who's to say? They've been married. So, who's to say? What are you, a cop? What are, yeah, exactly. Don't worry about it. <laughs> what are you, my warranty? <laughs> you don't need to know. <laughs> well, after five years of marriage to Kate's father, her mother, Martha, divorced her father, John, and instead married her lawyer, Allison. Male Her Allison. divorce lawyer? Yeah. <laughs> it was actually her divorce lawyer. Yes. That's really bad for business. You can't. <laughs> you can't. I, I would I, look askance at that. <laughs> I, I mean, you might, but Allison divorced his second wife to be with Martha. So stepdaddy Allison moves the family to Spokane. And in Spokane, he becomes a successful judge. When they're in Spokane... Stepdaddy is like, you know what, Kate, we've got money. I'm going to invest in a private school and a governess for you. And Kate goes, no, thank you very much. And she sneaks out whenever she can to go ride horses and camp in the woods. Wow. Okay. As she grows, Kate had what her biographer called an unbridled enthusiasm for men. <laughs> <laughs> It's just, just a big fan. She's a big she's fan. Just, two thumbs up to that. Just, you know, yeah. She gets sent away to private girls' schools in Kansas, in Minnesota, mm-hmm. in oh. California. Breaks rules, sneaks in boys, fails out. Think of all the ways you could get in trouble in private schools and then mm-hmm. get sent back home to Spokane. Kate did it, and it happened. Oh, kitty. Then the recession hits, and stepdaddy Allison... That recession. That recession. The 1893 one. Yeah, thank you. The 1893 recession hits, Allison goes bankrupt, can't afford Kate's private schools anymore that she keeps getting kicked out of anyway, so she gets brought back to Spokane. Martha, mommy Martha, had also indebted the family because she was speculating on real estate. Oh, Family is now bankrupt. The pair divorced. Can you imagine being a divorce lawyer who's getting divorced from a client <laughs> whose divorce you handled in addition to your own divorce, but then you moved out to Washington and you're probably not a divorce lawyer. You're a judge you're now, judged. right? He's got to go find somebody and be like, yep. So. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> it's like when the Joker is dressed as the nurse in the dark night. Yeah. And it's like, hi. He's just sidling up to the county clerk being like, mm. <laughs> oh, So they get so divorced. They get divorced. Martha tries to run a boarding house. That's what you do when you got a big old house. <sighs> you know? No income. No income. You're a woman. You've got rooms but no money, so you rent them out. Well, she ends up selling that, and she travels to South America to go visit a son from a previous marriage. So Kate doesn't know this son. It was before Kate's time. But Martha goes down there. She goes ahead of Kate, and instead she puts Kate <laughs> on <laughs> She puts Kate on a ship. 
And it's an 87-day voyage. can't be left unsupervised <laughs> around that many men. No! I'm just getting no. to know her, and I'm not judging her. But Kate needs chaperoning. Kate If does. you don't want Kate to do exactly what Kate wants to do. Yeah. And I feel like Martha should have known that. You feel like Martha should have known that for a daughter who had an unbridled enthusiasm for men. Unbridled! Unbridled! Not a hint of bridal to be seen. Not in her enthusiasm. Absolutely none. Kate is like, hey, mama, I'm engaged to a naval officer. Her mom goes, you know what, Martha, you're lucky she's engaged. (laughs) You're lucky she's engaged. But her mother does the Bugs Bunny meme of no and sticks her in a Catholic school in Chile before her mother is like, peace, I'm going to England. Martha, just, just, I'm sorry to like... Uh, No, I'm not sorry to second guess somebody's parenting in this era, but I feel like I were her. If I had Kate as a daughter, my objective would be to get her married off as fast (laughs) as possible. Right? 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 Like, look, you are clearly playing fast and loose with being fast and loose. There's no birth control. Mm -mm. There's your reputation, quote unquote, is going to be a huge deal. First of all, you clearly need a dude. This is clearly, like, something that you feel better off with, so let's get you one of those and let's make it official. A naval officer. He wasn't just some guy. No. Officer. She could have been an officer's wife, She could have been. What's wrong with that? She, well... Down off your high horse. I guess Martha maybe did it right because when she leaves England for New York, when she gets to New York, she finds that Kate has... Made it away from the convent chaperones down in Chile long enough to be engaged to a young Spanish diplomat. Okay. <laughs> so she's trading up. Her mother is like, dear God, child, no. Come up to New York. So Kate makes the 90- oh, get on a boat, Kate. Yeah, get on a boat, Kate. This time it's a 97-day voyage. Kate remains engaged to her Spanish diplomat. She gets to New York to find that her mother has squandered what little money they have. On boat tickets. On boat (laughs) tickets is right, yeah. Going all over God's green earth, not buying wedding dresses for Kate. Instead, Mm -hmm. just playing this game of, you know, global whack-a-mole with Kate's virginity. (laughs) According to one biographer, at this point, Kate is 16. Okay. She's lived a lot. She's either 16 or negative three. (laughs) There's no way to know. We don't know. Uh, But, you know, the reason the biographer thinks this is because later in life she would tell, Kate would tell her biographer, I was only 16, but I knew I must help in some way. And I read an ad in a newspaper. It said, chorus girls wanted, no experience necessary. And this, I think, is where Kate's story really begins. Oh, boy. She's engaged, right? She's engaged to the Spanish diplomat. But he's not around. He's being a diplomat in Chile at this point, still. He comes back, don't worry. Okay. We'll revisit Mr. Diplomat. Kate is beautiful. Kate, we've seen photos of Kate. We know she's beautiful. But at this point in her life, she's described, you know, she's this this little ingenue. She's pale. She's got flowing auburn hair. She's got violet eyes. And despite having no experience, she gets this job as a chorus girl, becomes a page girl right away, and very quickly gets transitioned into chorus in a Coney Island vaudeville 
she starts working her way up in the vaudeville circuits. She gets into legitimate vaudeville houses in New York, spends some time there. She comes back to Spokane and works in a seedy little variety theater downtown. But it was there in Spokane where Kate was working when the Klondike Gold Rush broke in Seattle. And she's like, you know what? I'm going to go to Alaska and I'm going to try stage life up there. Cool. Kate gets to Alaska. Just like that. Just like that. Kate gets to Alaska. She goes, you know, it, it takes her a while, but Kate makes it to Alaska and the miners love her. Absolutely willing to empty their pockets for this violet-eyed, auburn-haired, sweet little dancer who also apparently has a genuine interest in everyone as a person. She's oh. She had that heart of gold. She had a genuine connection that she made with people and seemed to actually care about people beyond, you know, relieving them of their gold nuggets. That is so important in a performer. One of the best compliments I ever got as a burlesque performer was that somebody told me that when I was on stage, it was obvious that I wasn't the best dancer, right? Like, I'm, I'm not a dancer, and I don't know choreography, but that I was one of the most arresting people to watch because you could tell I really enjoyed it, and I made eye contact with people in the audience. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I was up there for for kicks. I wasn't up there because I thought I was great at it. You know, I was up there because it was fun. So that was a really good compliment and is something that I felt kind of connected to, to Kate. She just really liked her audience. She just really liked the people that she was performing for. And I mean, Kate was very humble. She was, by all accounts, an actually very good performer. She had a lot of really unique acts that I'll tell you a little bit about. Cute little numbers and tricks and and very beautiful gowns that she bought from Paris and things like that. But Kate told her biographers, oh, I could have skipped rope and they would have been just as appreciative. Oh, yeah, especially if you didn't have your corset on. I mean, right? I mean, I would have watched (laughs) that as well. Yes. (laughs) Yes. But beyond minors loving her because, you know, she was skipping rope without her corset on. She had, like I said, that genuinely sympathetic ear. There are so many miners who recounted later in their lives that when they were sick, Kate brought them soup to their literal miner shacks and hovels. Many miners had a very lonely life, and despite being, some of them, quite wealthy, often found no more reason to live up there in the cold and the dark of Alaska, and several Mm -hmm. men said that Kate was the only reason that they kept living. She was the one that that pulled them through their darkest times. Money cannot do that for you. Apparently not. Kate began in southeast Alaska, but over her career, she would dance her way all the way into the heart of the Yukon. Wow. It was in Juneau where she first performed a dance that she would become famous for. And in this dance, she wore a crown of lit candles while she, you know, stripped. That's a good show. Good show. I'd be okay with that. I mean, it was not easy to get from town to town in Alaska, right? You are in the Yukon. You are in the wilds. There was one party that she traveled with. She had to climb Chilkut Pass. This party included a man carrying an in 
entire piano strapped to his back. Sir. Sir. Klondike Mike is his name. And (laughs) I made myself not Google him because he sounds like a character and I did not want to get sidetracked. (laughs) But I'm going to go find out more about Klondike Mike and his piano and I will share with you at some point. Kate performed in a little honky-tonk bar for a while owned by, can you guess who? Mr. Soapy Smith. Of course. Of course. So we're seeing these stories intersect. And it was finally in the year 1900 that she saved enough cash to actually buy steerage ship passage from Dawson into the heart of the Yukon. (laughs) I mean, like, she wouldn't be Kate if she didn't do this trip with a little added flair. Yeah. She buys her passage, right? So it's June 1900, and she's supposed to take this ship, this this boat that's going to go down the Five Finger Rapids, to Dawson. Ship is Ship ambitious is for the rapids. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. A boat. Big boat. And the Mounties stop her, and they're like, absolutely not too dangerous. We're not letting any women go this way. And Kate says in her biography, Well, I was young and I didn't give a whoop. <laughs> <laughs> so she disguises herself as a boy so that she can get real close to the boat. And as it starts pulling out of dock, she jumps aboard, hangs on for dear life to the lines. The Mounties see her and they're shouting at her to stop. But the boat just keeps going with Kate waving at them, sailing on down the rapids. Good for her. (laughs) As as they're headed to the rapids, she's sort of clinging to this thing like Spider-Man. I just want her to be a Zoomer doing like, and the peace sign yeah. at them. <laughs> like a little Megan the Stallion there, just like, peace, y'all. Oh, my goodness. I feel like we. this is like the third or fourth badass broad of the Northwest who's come up against the Mounties, and they've been like, you can't do that, you're a woman. And they're just like, yes, I can. Watch me. Watch me. Because I there was also the Angel of Tombstone. Why am I drawing a blank? Nellie. Oh, Nellie Cashman. Nellie Cashman. Had that where they're like, ma'am, you cannot go rescue these miners yeah. who were snowed in. You will die. And she's like, I mean, you might. You might. I'm going to go do it. <laughs> and she did. And she did. They are just these... <laughs> lady versions of Teddy Roosevelt. Just yeah, the Mounties <laughs> only exist in our stories to, like, fail to thwart I know, women. right? They're a gentle foil <laughs> for these yeah, like a badass broads. A foil. Yeah, exactly. Uh, how does this character handle conflict, kind of? <laughs> but they're not the big bad. They're not the big bad, no. No. In Dawson, Kate is billed as a sobrette extraordinaire. Oh. What Kate does in Dawson is that's where she is raking in money hand over fist. She's importing dresses from Paris. She sings these old ballads wearing these lacy, frothy pink dresses and these giant extravagant hats with ostrich plumes. And she's doing this thing that she calls the flame dance. This is one of her most famous dances. And by dancing through her movement, she keeps 200 yards of chiffon airborne. In the flame dance? In That's the what flame makes it... dance. Why do you call it a oh. flame dance? I don't know. Because she looks like smoke. She looks, looks like, like a flame. Fire. Yeah. 
I thought after the candle crown thing that it was going to be just like more fire stunts. And I'm like, Kate, Kate. this city is burning down every two minutes around here anyway. Can you stop performing with open flames? Girl never takes a day off. I mean, never takes a night off, I should say, because she's making $750 a night. And this is, she is not above going upstairs with a man if she wants to. But for the most part, Kate's making her money simply talking to lonely men. Yeah. Oh my goodness. By the time she's done in Dawson, she has cleared $30,000, which in today's she's money- She's holding a piano's worth of gold <laughs> on her back. She is. She is. That's a million dollars in today's money. That is so much cash for keeping chiffon aloft and singing songs we're wearing hats. (laughs) And well, our young Spanish diplomat is not out of the picture because during this entire time in Dawson and the Yukon and Alaska, Kate is still, as far as she considers, engaged to him. Yeah. Unfortunately, he dies. Yeah, he gets sick and dies in November of 1900, and so Kate is single once again. But she's not single for long. I'm shocked. Aren't you? Enter Alexander Pantages. Alexander is a Greek immigrant. He starts out knowing Kate as a waiter in one of the bars, but he has... An incredibly dramatic flair. He's got a nose for business as well. He and his father left Greece when he was very young, made it to Egypt, then abandoned the ship they were working on, got all the way down to California, and then little Alex caught gold fever and came up to the Yukon where he met Kate. He did not come up all that smoothly, as I recall. (laughs) He did He did not, but that's the short version because I care more about Kate than I care about Alexander. Okay, but can I tell you one story about Please him? Please do. He hired himself out as a guide for getting over the Chilkut Pass and other things like that. Oh. One of the stages involved making a boat. Your guide was supposed to make a boat for what? you. What? And he got to that stage and he didn't know how to make a boat. <laughs> this is all according to Skid Row, for the record. So this may be completely apocryphal. He did not know how to make the boat. So what he did, because there's a place where everybody would go cut down the trees and then make their boats out of them, is he went around to the people who did know what they were doing and told them that they were doing it wrong. And then when they argued with him and explained why they were doing it right, that's how he learned how to make a boat. <gasps> that to take is smooth. What do you mean it wasn't smooth? That is butter, baby. Well, he made his boat and he put it in the water and it tipped over to one side (laughs) so bad. And he said, well, halfway there. And went and made another boat and then tied them together. (laughs) And that's how they got there, according to to my Skid Row book. I'm like, that is a masterful mile of bullshit, sir. Speaking of masterful mile of bullshit, when Alexander gets to Skagway, all he has is 25 cents and his boots wrapped in pages of the Seattle Post-Intelligencer. And the first miner who sees this newspaper is like, I'll give you $5 for it. The second miner who sees this newspaper says, I'll give you $10 for it. And Alexander goes, not for sale. (laughs) And what he does is that night 
charges everyone a dollar a head to hear him read from the paper. <laughs> He's like a kid who found porn in the woods. And it's yes! like, you can look at it for a quarter. For- it's like water-damaged yep. hustler. Yep. <laughs> yep. In shed. Yep. Alexander was many things. He was a bartender. He was a prize fighter. He was a stage manager. He was, as you just mentioned, a guide. I think it would be accurate to say that Alexander would take your money for any role. I don't know that yes. he actually was or could do any of the Yes. <laughs> Alexander would take your money for any role. If you and had he a dollar, had, he had a talent. He had and it was a talent, exactly right? the one you needed. Yep. Yep. He had a way of parting you from your dollar. He had quite a few dollars when he started courting Kate. They were not married, but they moved in together. And he starts investing some of this money. Kate, as he is investing and doing his Alexander, you know, sleight of hand things over here, she is continuing as a headliner in Dawson. Mm -hmm. When his stock company fails, Kate is the one who's like, don't worry, baby, I got you. And she's spending $15 on a silk shirt for him or $5 at a pop for his cigars. She's the one that's keeping him in this lavish, luxurious lifestyle to which he's become accustomed. He's gotten accustomed to a pretty rich and fancy lifestyle for a guy whose entire career is basically saying, I can do that. Oh, right. How hard can it be? Right? He's a grifter who ate steak once and then went, aha, this is the life to which I've become accustomed. (laughs) This one-time thing. Yeah. Alex does pretty well shortly thereafter. He opens the Orpheum Theater. And Kate leaves the Monte Carlo in Dawson, where she's headlining, to come star in Alexander's show. And where Kate goes, money follows. The Orpheum was a success. They were grossing $8,000 a day. Kate wrote, There was gold in the streets of Dawson, gold in the hills, and gold in the Yukon. And I was named queen of it all. Nice. She was making a ton of money. Her, well, not husband, uh, affianced. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> like, briefly channeled David Rose from Schitt's Creek, like, to a T, I could see it as you said, uh, affianced. Affianced. <laughs> I'm I'm totally... You can compare me to any one of those characters, and I will be very happy for it. Ew, Devin. They are working... They're working so hard to build this business. Kate is working every night on stage doing these dances. Alex is not only running the theater, he sweeps the theater floors at night so he can sift out the gold dust that has filtered out of miners' pockets. I do not have that instinct, but man, I'm impressed by it in others. Absolutely. It's during this time that it's possible that Kate bore Alexander a child. Hmm. Kate never admitted to having a son with Alexander or any man. But what happens is she makes a trip to the lower 48, and then she comes back months and months later with with an infant. Oh, 
Yeah, she tells everyone, well, I was nursing its mother who died of tuberculosis and on her deathbed she asked me to care for her child and I said I would. Right. That was going to be my question if it was ambiguous. I'm like, how was it ambiguous when she was on stage all the time? But she uh, yeah. went out of dodge. She, she went she out of went dodge. And did things on the down low, which, you know. She did. I guess, in theory, people did die of tuberculosis, and she does mm-hmm. sound like she was a very considerate nurse who would have mm-hmm. looked after somebody. But mm-hmm. also, uh, I'm shocked that this is the first time this has come up, Kate, but I don't know what you do. Uh, well, yeah, right. I mean, it just doesn't right. seem that implausible to me. And if she right. found a way to get her kid to be with her, then uh, sure. Yeah, yeah. It works. I mean, three fiancés and one maybe baby is actually doing pretty good. Yeah. Kate comes back to Dawson, comes back to Alexander. They're engaged, and Kate, in her her memoirs and the biography, you know, professes that she's very much in love with Alexander, but Everyone who knows them says that they're not well-matched. Yeah, they're both hustlers. They're both good at making money. They're both driven. But Kate is vivacious, and she's fun, and she's caring, and she's open. And everyone says of Alexander that he is none of these things. He is profit-driven. He doesn't have a sense of humor. And he's kind of cold. He's not very nice to Kate or to anyone else. In 1902, Alexander says, you know what, Kate? Let's get out. I don't want to be in the Yukon anymore. And Kate goes, there is not another place like it in this world, and I love it. It's going to be a step down for her. She's the queen. Don't ask the queen queen to abdicate. No! No, don't ask the queen to abdicate. However... He convinces her, though. She loves him so much. Alex goes, hey, baby, let's spend all your savings on a grand tour for the two of us. Mm -hmm. Let's go on this marvelous trip. We're fiancés. Of course, I'm going to marry you. You know, this is a good reason to spend your money. Let's go do this. The trip went poorly. I mean, at some point on their grand tour, they're in Texas, and Kate leaves him for a couple of weeks. She's like, I'm absolutely done with this. But Alex wins her back. And it's another example of how cold and calculating he is in that a surviving letter with his attorney, his attorney wrote, it was, quote, most appropriate was your carrying her back to the northern wilds that she might replenish the treasury. When they get back together, Alex moves her back to the Yukon so she can make him more money. I I feel bad for Kate. Kate feels like that person where you're like, Kate, why don't you understand that not being in a relationship is better than being in a bad relationship? Yeah, absolutely. It's not like you need him for support. No, girl, you are a headliner. You are diva extraordinaire. As Liz said, you are the queen. So... Just go back to the Yukon without him. Have your child or the child that you consented to raise. Both of you can live lavishly. Kick the dead weight to the curb. Yeah, seriously. Get get rid of him. Get but rid. I also feel like there's a thing that can happen where people who are amazing, they go through life with the openness yeah. that it sounded like Kate had. 
And they're not prepared for somebody who's willing to be mean to them because they're, you know, usually rather conflict averse and, you know, they like people to get along and have a good time. And so they haven't been in a million fights and then they find somebody who will pick on them. Yeah. Just enough to find that piece of them that hurts, whatever it may be, and to exploit it. And that's just the vibe I'm getting off this thing. Yeah. I'm like, why did you want her? She doesn't sound like somebody who was enjoying herself with you or vice versa. Yeah. So why would you take this beautiful creature? Why why did you put Klondike Kate in a zoo? Why did you yeah. take the queen and dress yeah. her in the plainest dress you had? Why would yeah. you find somebody who is so warm and kind and funny and entertaining and be cold and cruel and unkind and humorless? What what was the logic? I agree with everything you said. I feel like it's an example of, not to stroke my own ego, but I'm a nice person. And most people reflect that niceness back to me. And when I meet someone who's a little bit mean, not outwardly hostile, because that's, that's a thing. That's danger. I can run yeah, from that. Yeah, not enough to completely push you away. Yeah, yeah. But someone who's a little barbed, but also charming, mm-hmm. there's something in my brain that goes... Everyone likes me except this one person. I can make this person like me. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that isn't a reason Kate stays. We make jokes about the being withholding thing, but that is yeah. a a deliberate strategy. And if this sounds familiar to anybody, look out and get out. But the idea yeah. of setting a standard that the person is anxious about their ability to reach and then occasionally throwing them a bone because the high that they will get from getting your approval for a minute before you go back to torturing them, Mm -hmm. that high becomes what they're hooked on. Yes. And it makes the rest of it easier to ignore rather than just somebody who's consistently good to you. Yes. (sighs) Our brains like danger and they like excitement and I just, people are not good to each other sometimes and it bums me out. We're going to go through a rough period for Kate here, just about. But I want you to know that this is a happy story in the end. So feel your feelings for Kate and be righteously angry for her. But everyone who's listening, Liz included, know that this story does have a happy ending. Cool. They go back north. They reopen the Orpheum. And while they're up there, Alexander says, I'm going to turn these theaters into a national chain. That's what I really want, is a Mm -hmm. national chain of theaters. Kate's like, hey, guess what? I thrive here, queendom, all around me, staying. And he goes, okay, I'm going to go start our theaters in Seattle. And he's crossing paths now with Considine. And why both of them are trying to make a chain is because of the talent issue I was talking about, where it's really hard to book somebody for one night. But if you can say, hey, I can offer you a three-week tour at 16 different venues, that you might show up for. That's worth leaving the East Coast. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. You become this circuit that folks Mm -hmm. can tour. It's in Seattle that Alexander, the first thing he opens is the Crystal Theater on 2nd Avenue Mm. in Seattle. And it still stands to this day. It's a building that I've been by many times. I actually read that it was the Pantages Theater and had no freaking idea what that meant. But folks, if you're in Seattle, you can go to it. It doesn't really read theater to me. It reads 
Victorian house with a wraparound porch, but it's in Capitol Hill on Second Avenue. And it's if you I mean, if you know Seattle, you're you know what I'm talking about. It's like across the street from Twice Sold Tales, which is a bookstore that is full of cats. (laughs) So it's a marvelous bookstore. Anyway, I just love that this is we're now into a part of history and Seattle history, Washington history, where you can be like, I've been there. I've yeah. seen that. I can touch that. Awesome. In the same year, 1902, Kate buys a Nickelodeon in Victoria, B.C., and Alexander thought it was a bad investment. She goes, yeah, whatever, Alexander, guess what? She gets this Nickelodeon to start making a profit, and it's like within a year, she's able to sell it for five times Whoa. what she paid for All right. it. Alexander, on the other hand, buys a burlesque theater in Seattle's Skid Row district called The Strand. Mm-hmm. Kate plays in Texas. Kate plays in Seattle. Kate plays in Spokane. And it's when... Kate is playing in Spokane in 1905 that a performer, fellow performer and friend of hers, pulls her aside and says, Kate, I got some bad news for you. Alexander, you know, your fiancé, mm-hmm. he just married a woman named Lois. No! He just got married to a vaudeville performer. Like, I thought, <gasps> you guys were oh together? God, What's that's- up? possibly one of the worst ways to find that out although i guess there's not a great way to find yep. it out at least they pulled her aside at yeah. least she wasn't like handed a newspaper she wasn't oh. right yeah at least it was dick a friend move. super dick move what i love though is that kate rockwell does not stay down klondike kate is not going to die of a broken heart Klondike Kate is going to sue Alexander Pantages in court. Get his ass. (laughs) She's not suing him for all the money she loaned him over the years or these businesses that they have in common. No, she says he's in violation of his promise to marry her. If marriage is an illegal government (laughs) contract, then contract law should apply. I'll die on that hill. It should apply. I will die on that hill with you. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. So she, in her lawsuit, says, look, we lived as a married couple. I spent all my savings on him. He has injured, damaged, humiliated, disgraced me with this. And I'm deserving of some money as recompense. Alexander settled out of court. The story changes how much they settled for. It was either $5,000 or it was $60,000. Hmm depending on who you talk to. As we know, $30,000 was almost a million bucks. Yeah, but so, a, a, on a good night, it sounds like they would take in five to $10,000. So that's yes, not... Yes, yeah, they were doing like 8K That's not nights. a big take if it was on the lower end. I mean, yeah. it's not peanuts, yeah. obviously. It's plenty to live on in that time period, especially. Sure. But Sure. Know. And Kate's got her other investments, you know. This isn't the only money she mm-hmm. has. But for a guy who did her dirty, $5,000 to me would be a real slap in the face. If I could, at any point in my life from anybody who's done me dirty, obtain $5,000 in 2021 money, I would count it as a win. Oh my goodness, yes. Let's see. Who all has done me dirty? How much money can I make here in <laughs> fantasy land? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure what it cost her money rate? to take him to court in the first place, and she was already in sure. the hole on this, but 
Also, sure, you did not let his attempt to humiliate you drive you into the darkness, because that is not what Klondike Kate does. That is not what Klondike Kate does. Before we get any further, Liz, I would love to talk about our episode sponsor. That's what we do. That's what we do. We have got the sponsor we know and we love. It is Jessie Sells Land. Our girl Jessie, on the front page of her website right now, has... 100-plus-year-old homes and ranches. That's the very first thing you can click on on her homepage, which is WashingtonStateLandForSale.com. And hello, Liz. You and I need to come up with $925,000. And with that, we're buying this weird triangle of land in Paderoy, Pateros, Washington. I've actually surprisingly never heard of this city in Washington. It's this cool little triangle of land because it's where the river forks. <gasps> and so you get river on two sides, two of your three sides of land. This is so cool. It's on the Mitho River. It's, as Jesse calls it, a homesteader's dream with 2,000 feet of riverfront right on the Methow River. It's a 20-acre farm with three lots. It has an immaculately maintained 1920s home with what Jesse says are some of the most beautiful original wood floors you've ever seen. There is a shed with a rock-walled root cellar. You have orchard upon orchard. You've got apricot trees, you've got peach trees, you've got apple trees, you've got cherry trees, and even some established thornless blackberries. Uh. So all of the picking without the pricking, my friends. <laughs> I shouldn't tell you to look these up beforehand. I feel like you thought of that and saved I didn't. It. This is brand oh, new. Oh, God. This is brand new. There's no preventing yep. it then, is there? Okay. No, no, it's a mm. gift. It's a gift and a wow. curse. I'm scrolling through. This is 100% the house I want because it's a house-shaped house. As opposed to? As opposed to a house that's not a house-shaped house, duh. If you gave a kid a crayon and said, draw a house, and they they draw that, like, classic square rectangle with a triangle roof and a little chimney, that's what I want. You want it to be shaped like a birdhouse. Yeah, it needs to look like a birdhouse, like a like a classic church. But it is a house shaped house, cute AF, giant shop. So we could, if you want to split this with me, my husband could use the the shop for car things. Yeah, for car things. There's only three bedrooms though, so you and I might have to double up. Um, We'll make it work. This is not the worst thing in the world. We've made that happen before. Let's see. Ooh, the shed, though. I am really stoked about the 100-plus-year-old homes and ranches on Jesse's website. I just can click on these and daydream forever. WashingtonStateLandForSale.com or, or Jesse Sells Land on Instagram. So thank you, Jesse. Tell me more about Klondike Kate. Klondike Kate, at this point in our story, takes kind of a decline. Unfortunately, this is the sad part of Klondike Kate's story. She continues to perform around Alaska, but while there, she purchases a hotel. You mentioned this briefly earlier because you are just a psychic little creature. 
there's fires all the time happening right then. Her hotel in Alaska burns down, and it's uninsured. So she's just oh. out that money. She travels for some performances. She meets some... She meets a few performers, and it's possible during this time that she married a roller skating champion named Jimmy Ray. <gasps> we don't have that for sure. We do know that she's increasingly relying on alcohol. Things aren't going her way financially, personally, professionally, and it's really contrasted because when Kate is declining Alexander's star is ascending. He's he's taken off. I feel so bad for her because I want it to work out when people re- are relaxed about money. I yeah. love it when somebody who doesn't have much gets to be comfortable and gets to splurge on stuff. Yeah. And I feel like it's got to have been so hard to have built up so much and lose it in such a traumatic way. Yeah. Twice. Twice. First she loses it to Alexander, and then she loses it to the fire. Yeah. yeah. Makes me sad for her, and it's got to be hard to... I mean, how long has she been at this? She, we don't know how old she is. I do know that, but you know, that's a tiring life. Touring really tiring. is tiring yeah. even today, yeah. let alone back then, the travel and the stress. Yeah. She doesn't have a manager, it sounds no. like. It's not a year-round thing that she could do indefinitely. No. I feel for her. No, and, you know, as you know, uh, she was that young ingenue in 1900. Mm -hmm. We'll we'll assume that she was, what, 20 years old. Let's give her that in Mm -hmm. 1900. As she's declining, you know, she's 30 years old and she's 40 years old and she's 50 years old. And Mm -hmm. you're not going to be landing those ingenue roles, of course, if you're a day over, what, 18. Mm -hmm. Alexander, though, as I said, is rocketing to success his chain of theaters takes off he gets the pantages circuit of his dreams by 1910 he owned or had interest in at least 26 theaters including that one in spokane by the 1920s he was the sole owner of 22 vaudeville theaters and had interest in 28 more Wow. This guy has 50 theaters at his beck and call in this circuit. At this point in his life, he's worth probably about $10 million in that day's currency. Whoa. His good fortune comes to an end in 1929. In the fall of that year, Alexander is charged with raping a 17-year-old actress who sought work in his theaters. And he's sentenced to 50 years in San Quentin. Now, he was acquitted two years later, but during his time in prison, he suffered a heart attack and major financial loss. And while in prison, his wife drove drunk and killed someone and had to pay the man's family $78,000 in restitution. Oh, my God. Alexander died five years after his release, so mid-1930s. Kate's story wasn't easier than his. Like we, we've talked about, she's got this decline, but she comes back. Kate's our comeback kid. Yay. Her fortunes really reverse when her mother, who was in New York, ended up moving to Spokane, was in Seattle for a bit, 
bought some property in Oregon. This is Martha? This is Martha. Yep, Martha's still kicking. Wow. So Martha sells Kate these acres. Kate buys them sight unseen. She doesn't really know what she bought. She just knows that she needs something different. She needs a change. And she told her biographer, I found I owned a one-room shack in the middle of a 320-acre homestead. I never saw so much country in my life. Sagebrush (laughs) as far as I could see. This is in the the 19-teens. Alexander's story we kind of fast-forwarded through, but now we're going to go back and talk about when Kate's life is starting to get better. Okay. So she buys these acres. She gets this homestead, and she has about $3,000 as well as $3,000 in diamonds. Wow. She also had her costumes from her days as a performer. She had no farming sense, but she had a lot of gumption, (laughs) or Kate did. Yeah, that's true. She, in her biography, says, In ball gowns and high heels, I started grubbing sagebrush and piling rocks. I mean, if she learned anything from her time with Alexander, it was fake it till you make it. Fake it till you make it, indeed. My goodness, he was the king of that. Kate clears some of the land. She's spending some time out in the country. And when she's 39, she marries again. Well, she marries maybe her first, maybe her second husband. We don't know if the roller skater was an actual marriage. We know that she and Alexander never legally married. And I'm still back here putting air quotes around 39. Around 39. Before we get to married. Indeed, right? (laughs) Yeah, you quibble about your part, I'll quibble about my part. (laughs) There's a lot to unpack (laughs) But we're going to let Kate have her suitcase, you know. We will, right? She's earned it. It's fine. (laughs) She's maybe 39. Uh, We're going to narc you out, Kate. You're 39. You're 39, yeah. It's fine. You're 39 and you've been doing this for 40 years. It (laughs) makes sense to me. It does, right? Yeah. So Kate is... (laughs) 39, this is her first marriage. <laughs> and, um, well, she never locked it down with the other guys. It sounded like she would get engaged and be like, neat. Right, yeah, neat. And then just go. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. they couldn't keep up no, with they it. No, they couldn't. It sounds like nobody could. No, they couldn't. Well, this is her first or second marriage. It's at least her fourth engagement. Mm-hmm. The man she marries is named Floyd Warner. And he cheats on her. So she divorces him. When will people start respecting our queen of the North? When are people going to stop doing Kate dirty? Where does she find these guys? She needs friends. She needs friends who can introduce her to nice people. Kate just needs to wait for the early 1930s. Because our Kate has not one Prince Charming. Kate has, of course, two Prince Charmings show up in her life in the 1930s. A gentleman named William L. Van Duren. He was a very successful accountant in Oregon until he became blinded by cataracts and his wife leaves him and he's no longer able to do business. That's right. Well, he meets our old Katie, who's got a heart of gold. Mm -hmm. She cares for him in his blinded state. She becomes his advocate, with hospitals and surgeons and doctors and is the one who negotiates for his very expensive eye surgery to cure his cataracts to happen and at a much reduced cost, William gets his eyesight restored thanks to Kate. Oh my god. 
Good job, Kate. He wants to thank her in a big way, and so he purchases a huge diamond and proposes. That's proposal number five, if you're keeping score at home. Oh, my God. But Kate had to decline because Kate accepted another proposal that she had received. This is the proposal of one Johnny Matson, a 70-year-old former Norwegian miner who had been in love with her for the past 30 years from the very moment he saw her dance up in the Yukon. Had she ever met him, or was this just a big fan? (laughs) Well, she had met old Johnny at least now because they get married. This is husband number three, proposal number six. They marry on July 14th, 1933, and remain married until 1946. Some biographers speculate they were able to remain married that long because they lived apart the entire time. Kate in Oregon and Johnny up in the Yukon. Oh, dear. Do you feel bad for William? I feel bad that the contractual nature of marriage and the fact that we make it only two people has made so many unnecessarily stressful situations. Because if Kate could have just been involved with both of them, I think it could have worked out. (laughs) Except that everybody was crapping on that arrangement, much like they still do, really. Yes. But especially in that time, like, no, no one's going to sign off on that. And they don't have the ability to step so far outside their upbringing. I'm of sure course. Okay, 70 is a lot to ask. But yeah. It sounds like she needed, okay, I want to say this in a way that doesn't come across like a double entendre, <laughs> but I feel like she needed part-time options. Yes. She was not a, I'm going to be with you all the time forever, staring into your face yeah. until we both die of old age. Yeah. That's not who Kate was. Yeah. Kate was a butterfly and she needed to be able to go from flower to flower. She did. Yeah. And if you don't try to make the butterfly stay, then you're going to have a good interaction. Yeah. But everybody had this so normalized as the way that they should interact. And it yeah. just feels very unfair because yeah. for all we know, Johnny was really happy with this outcome. He got to say he was married to Klondike Kate. Yeah. He didn't want to live with her all the time nope. in my version of this. Yes. And she got to have the respectability and love. And I think she should have been able to go spend whatever time she wanted, however she wanted, with Cataract Guy. And nobody should have given them a hard time about it. I think this would have worked out. <laughs> I think it could have worked out, too. Because two years after Johnny died, Kate goes and marries William. <laughs> See, I'm just saying <laughs> this just needs saying. to be concurrent and not sequential. Exactly. It was... A- it was a lot of Kate to go around, clearly. Clearly. It was sequential. When they applied for a marriage license in Vancouver, he requested a waiver of the three-day waiting period from the judge. He was, oh my God. He was 71, and he told the judge, time is of the essence. And Kate quipped back, saying, I was the flower of the north, but the petals sure are falling awfully fast. <laughs> First of all, good one. (laughs) Love it. William is like, look, she is who she is. Help me. (laughs) 
Just help me. <laughs> help me, right? Help me lock yeah. this down. Don't make me wait I'm three days. I'm going to take my eyes off her. She's like a toddler. You have to keep on a leash. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm going to turn around thinking she's just behind yeah. me and she's going to be in Bolivia. She's going to be on the moon. And I'm only one man. Judge, please help. Please, please help. don't make me corral her for another 72 hours. She does what she wants and I'm just happy to be yep. here, okay? <laughs> yep, she's capricious, and I love that about her, but good mm-hmm. God, there's no leash sturdy enough. Kate marries her William, who, as far as we know, was both her fifth and seventh proposal, and her third or fourth husband. So, multiply... <laughs> <laughs> right? I felt right? like that was math homework. They live together until William's death. During Kate's span in Oregon, which was most of the rest of her life, she was known to her fellow townsfolk as Aunt Kate. Oh. They described her as an oldish woman who never quite grew up. Hmm. In 1931, there was apparently an annual meeting in Portland, Oregon, of Alaska Yukon pioneers. They, they would come to these cities to have a meetup and talk about the good old days. And in 1931, at their annual meetup, over a thousand of them showed up to toast to Kate Rockwell. The master of ceremonies said, To us she was laughter and beauty and song. She was forgetfulness of hardship and homesickness. But she was more than that. She was our friend, a square shooter. That's beautiful. Yeah, I don't know if it's because it's late or what, but I teared up. I heard Mm -hmm. that, yeah. I like that she had so much love to give as a performer and as a friend and that it was received in almost every case. Yeah. So warmly and with so much appreciation. Yeah. Because that can be a thing that gets taken advantage of. And that was not a gentle setting up there in the Yukon. No. But she brought something that they needed and they really valued her for that. And I think that's very sweet. Yeah. And I'm all the angrier that she managed to find anyone who didn't treat her right, because I feel like there were a lot of people who would have. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. It sounds like at least her last two husbands knew the gem that they had to marry a man who'd been in love with you for 30 years, who had fallen in love with mm-hmm. you on site. And then another man who waited for you through that marriage. <laughs> The waiting means more to me because the other one is like, you fell in love with a persona. Yes. Not a person. But it's still pretty romantic. It's still pretty romantic. We don't know when she was born, but we know when she died. Kate lived until 1957. That's right. Damn. Wow. Kate grew up having to take steamships around from Seattle to New York and then lived to almost see a man on the moon. She was on TV. She was on TV, yes. How can you be the queen of the Yukon and also be on TV? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so wild. She never had the same kind of fame that she had in the Yukon, but she worked with some very famous people and was very much beloved and revered by the people she worked with. The final thing I have for you is a quote from Kate herself, and she said this to a biographer in 1956, the year before she died. You must know who I am. You know that I followed the mining camps. You know that I had lived by my wits. You must have known what people thought of me. 
I cast my lot with the people of this country and had to match my wits with those of every man I met. I have made mistakes. What girl doesn't who has had to fight her way alone? But my past is my own and it concerns nobody but me. I have no regrets. Heck yeah. Heck yeah, Kate. I like that she just kind of puts it back on them of, well... I was making the choices that I made, and like everybody, I make some mistakes in my life, but on the balance, I think I've done okay. Yeah. yeah, How can you really respond to that and be like, but you made different mistakes than the ones I think I would have made, even <laughs> though I've never been in that situation. Right. You sound like an idiot. Right. You sound, you sound like, like a, a tool. total, total tool. I mentioned to you last time we talked about this that I had ended up with the DuckTales Wikipedia page open and it was pertinent <laughs> and that's how far this had sprawled. Yes, you did. Please tell me how we bring these two ends into an Ouroboros of Skid Road. Well, have you ever heard about Scrooge McDuck's girlfriend? Oh! Glittering Goldie O'Gilt is yes. explicitly based on Klondike oh. Kate. You're absolutely right, Goldie is. Oh my god, my husband is the biggest Scrooge McDuck fan. It's incredible. It's going to be good then. Oh. So she originated in a comic called Back to the Klondike, where she was a music hall singer in Dawson. She is. This is glittering Goldie. Oh my god, which honestly kind of makes Scrooge Kate's Klondike minor husband who'd been in love with yeah. her. For 30 years, because Scrooge and Goldie never end up. Their stories circle one another throughout the comics, Mm -hmm. but it's this burning, very hot passion that never brings them together fully. But there's elements as well of, you know, I can see Scrooge sifting through the Junk totally. at the bottom of a movie theater yes. that everybody spat and dropped and yes. everything just to find that little bit of gold. Yes. So he he's a, he's a composite, but she's pure Kate, oh. I say. <laughs> this is not about Scrooge. This is her story, and he's a composite of all her husbands. A hundred percent. My darlings, thank you so much for joining us for another episode on our Skid Road series. We hope that you continue on this journey. Liz and I have got some great ideas for upcoming episodes under this umbrella, so stay tuned for that. In the meantime, we do hope you come and join us on all of the social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, most active on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to throw a dime our way and for your money get a little bit of backstage access, you can join us on Patreon.com where for $5 a month you get access to the vault, you get uncut episodes that are released to you before they're released to the public. You get stickers, you get warm-ups, you get outtakes, you get sneak peeks. It's a lot of fun over there, so we would love it if you came and gave us some of your time and some of your gold on Patreon. What am I missing, Liz? You did good. I always do good. Folks, I think you know what I'm going to say next then. That's the end. So we hope until we talk to you next time that you live weird, die weird, and stay weird. Thank you for listening. Thank you.